barbecue, barbecue, barbecue restaurant, barbecue sauce, barbecue life, barbecue, barbecue, Texas barbecue, 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 community barbecue. Hey, barbecue boys and girls, this is Evan Leroy of Leroy and Lewis in Austin, Texas, and this is the New School Barbecue Podcast, a show where I talk with people in and around the barbecue business. Today I'm talking with Jonathan Wilkins of Black Duck Revival, and Brad also joins us for this one too. We're recording live from Brinkley, Arkansas. Jonathan is a hunter and angler from St. Louis who now resides in eastern and central Arkansas. He converted an old church to a hunting lodge in Brinkley, a little town known for duck and geese hunting. He's been making some big waves in the outdoor space recently, and we first heard about him from Jesse Griffiths of Daidui, a hugely influential and hyper-local restaurant here in Austin. Jonathan put us up in the lodge, taught us everything he could fit into three days of catfishing, and cooked up some really spectacular yet simple food for us, and we just had an amazing time. So a couple weeks ago, Brad and I headed up to Arkansas. Uh, Jonathan took us out on his boat on the Cache River Bayou and taught us everything he knew about catching catfish and hanging limb lines and setting a trot line and baiting them uh, with this pink soap, believe it or not. Uh, He stressed the importance of respecting the land, the waters, the living sentient beings that we harvest for food. Uh, Spending a few days with him really rubbed off on both Brad and I, who immediately came back, got our Texas hunting licenses, and started looking for dove leases because the season starts here in just a couple weeks on September 1st. We're itching to get out in the field and go out in nature and just go get more of our own wild food, whether it flies in the sky or swims in the water or walks on land. So if anybody out there uh, has a lease, dove, duck, deer, uh, any anything this upcoming season from basically September to like February, hit up me, hit up Brad, hit us up on Instagram or anywhere because uh, we want to go out there with you guys. Uh, but the premise for the entire catfishing trip was because we wanted to catch our own catfish for Catfish Wars, which took place this past Monday at Mama Fried. We had the whole team out and some other buddies, and we fried up a whole mess of cats, and we crowned a new catfish king. So congratulations to Pat Barrett and Mason Mueller. Uh, congrats on taking the crown this year with your Korean fried catfish sandwich with kimchi slaw. The other staff also did an excellent job. Cole and Matt Bromley put up a Nashville hot catfish that was delicious. Andy and Allison threw down a catfish katsu sandwich. And Zach and Miriam made a really tasty catfish pibil taco. Everyone was commenting on the freshness and the clean taste of the fish. And I have to think it's because... We went and got it out of the water ourselves instead of just buying fillets that probably came from a you know, catfish farm, you know, all swimming in dirty water. You know, it just goes to show you that uh, going to seek out your own food just makes it taste better. Before we get to the interview with Jonathan, uh, let's answer some catfish and barbecue questions. Some of these are going to be about a mustache I had in the uh, story I posted with the uh, catfish uh, question. So. Mel Rowe, ATX. How we doing, Mel? Uh, anyone ever mention you should be in the cast of the next series of Narcos, The Stash? Yeah. Uh, no, nobody said that to me. But uh, somebody did also say that I looked like Pablo Escobar in that show. So I'll take it. I'll take it. He was a very rich man. Summer Smoke BBQ, how to prevent backflow on an offset. Uh, usually that happens when... Sometimes your smokestack can get dirty if you kind of neglect it for a long time and 
pump a ton of dirty smoke through there. It can kind of clog up. Um, I would just check like all of the exchanges and make sure nothing is clogged. I would also make sure the exchanges are like even or just below the grate. Um, that's going to help with flow as well. I don't really experience a lot of backflow on an offset, so I can't really say much about it. I know that having you know uh, you know the height of your smokestack has to deal with that's with with has to deal with backflow and stuff, but I honestly can't say that I experience it that much. I wish I had a better answer for you. John Leftwich is David Beard the real catfish king? No, David Beard's not the real catfish king. Me and Brad, so we stopped at David Beard's Catfish King. That's like part of the reason we caught that. Um, to we stopped in Waco on the way to Arkansas. We we're like, all right, well, let's try. You know, this good stuff. David Beard's supposed to be the catfish king. Uh, was not that good. Mine came out a very quickly. First of all, so it probably wasn't fried fresh. Uh, Hush puppies, not that good. The fries are pretty good. Tate was really good there. The onion rings, the onion rings, freshly battered, freshly fried, really good. Um, I dig the vibe of the place, but uh, you know, it was it was not that good. Another one from John Leftwich, favorite easily accessible fried catfish. I would say I would just go wherever's close to me in Austin. It's gonna be Cherry Creek Catfish. Um, you know, the Catfish Parlor has uh, a perfect neon sign, so it's probably pretty good. I think any of those places, you're pretty much going to get the same standard fried catfish fillets. They're probably not going to be that good. I would say go get them out of the water yourself and fry them up. Whatever water's closest to you, probably got some catfish in it. Go hang a line. Rich BBQ, a cat's favorite fish is a catfish. A dog's favorite fish is a cuttlefish. It's not a question, Rich. I appreciate the comment, though, buddy. It is a cuttlefish. Yeah. All right, Jeff, what's your most meaningful cook and why? Catfish or BBQ? Uh, I would say barbecue means more to me than catfish. Catfish is kind of a one-off. It's fun. Most meaningful cook ever. Uh, I would say the two times that we did the whole cow uh, at the Birthright Festival with uh, Aaron Franklin. It's fun to cook with Aaron. He's a great guy. I'm always learning stuff from him. If you know, anytime you're watching or just in his presence, you know you can kind of see him work a crowd. Uh, you can see him cook. You can see him deal with everything. Uh, you know, talking to people, talking to his family. Just like there's so much to learn from Aaron Franklin. He's a really, really great guy. So just being around him is is awesome. Secondly, we cooked a whole cow, uh, which was really cool. The first year was not that. Uh, not, you know, not that difficult. The second year it came in frozen. The entire thing was frozen. So that was an entire challenge within itself. And then a tornado blew through during service. So that was also fun. Um, and it's also called birthright, right? It's a, uh, you know, as a Texan, it's kind of like your birthright to eat barbecue, to cook barbecue. Um, so all of those things kind of together, it's a really cool event. I hope we get to do it again someday. Birthright barbecue. That's the most meaningful cook uh, we've done chef banks what would you go noodling with brad i don't you know we get i've gotten this question it's going to come up again here uh i don't know if i would go noodling it's a little dangerous i don't like the snakes i don't like the fear of getting my fingers chopped off by a snapping turtle if i, I if i went with somebody who really really knew what they're doing I might go, um, you know, if, if we just get the invite from Hannah Barron, we, we will go. Um, but, yeah, other than that, probably not. I'm not just going to go stick my hand in holes in some lake in Oklahoma. 
Proud Mary BBQ pork chops. Best smoked as a rack, then sliced, or smoked as individual chops? I'm going to go an individual chop because you're going to get seasoning all the way around. You can cook them perfectly. It's easier to cook a whole rack perfectly because it will maintain uh, moisture. But if you cook a whole rack, then cut a chop off, then it goes back in your like, warmer or whatever and sits there, that cut's going to be uh you know oxidize is going to dry out so i prefer to keep them whole they hold better they hold longer um and we can kind of stick, cut them off the bone and slice them to order that's how we like to do them uh the real concrete cowboy would you be interested in noodling for one no good boy bbq did anyone try and make catfish sausage or sausage roll style like josh nyland uh no we didn't try to do nobody made catfish sausage but uh nyland is a genius first of all i here's what i want to do i want to make i want to cure chunks of catfish and smoke them and then i want to mix that into an andouille sausage you might call me crazy but i think it would be good catfish andouille J underscore Nilo, can you share your favorite smoked catfish recipe? Wet versus dry brine, time, temp, etc. I mean, I don't have like a recipe. The way that we prepared, so everybody, here's how Catfish Wars worked, and you'll see it on our Patreon video when it comes out. Uh, everybody got two fish. Um, they had to break them down. I broke down the rest of them. The bigger ones, I kind of broke them out down in different ways. So we had fillets, we had steaks. Uh, we had uh, heads. I had whole catfish that I just skinned. Um, and we had them a couple different. And, and yeah, I think that was it. Whole steaks and then fillets. We had nuggets. Um, and we had tails as well. That was one of the things that Jonathan fried up for us that was really good was catfish tails. So we fried some fillets. We fried all the nuggets. I fried a whole head. But I also brine. I, I didn't brine. I just uh, seasoned heavily, and then smoked uh, some of the steaks and two of the heads, and they came out really good. I actually just put a really simple, like basic barbecue rub on them. It was kind of a mix of a few different rubs we had. Uh, to be honest, I was just like, oh, this is in a quart container. I'll just throw it on here. Um, and yeah, we smoked the catfish heads for quite a while at a very low temperature. Um, they took a lot of smoke, they broke down everything, uh, and they came out really, really tasty. That is something that is, could possibly be making an appearance on a menu sometime soon. T Putman 25 had the beef cheeks at your truck this weekend. So you guys come feed them? Yeah, we do. Thanks, man. Glad you liked them. If you want to see more, go check out our, uh, Patreon. Cody Neat, ever noodled? No, I haven't. Garza Wooten, hey, there's Garza. Uh, who wears the stash better, you or the fish? I, you know, okay, on the poll it said it was me, um, but I have to say I'm new to the stash game. I don't always have it. I actually only put it on when uh, my wife goes out of town because she hates it so much. So wife went out of town the week before we went catfishing. I shaved it into that, and then I kept it for the catfish trip. Um, but here's the thing. Catfish, they've had whiskers, you know, since the dinosaurs, so... I'm going to go ahead and say the catfish. Where's the stash better? Gringo's BBQ, best sauce for catfish or any fish? Uh, it's tartar sauce over cocktail sauce every single time. BBQ confessional, how about that sweet-ass mustache, though? Uh, Gilly Goat BBQ, cocktail or tartar sauce? I just answered that one. Blackened or fried? Man, you know what? I'm going to have to go with fried catfish. 
blackened redfish. Thank you, Paul Prudhomme. I fear no beer. There's our boy. Are catfish more cat or more fish? I'd say they're just a little bit more fish, uh, but they are slightly predatory, like like cats. Mighty Meat 77. Best way to do the long rest on a brisket. Best way to do the long rest on a brisket is in a warmer. Second best way to do it is in your oven set on the lowest setting. Third best way to do it is in a roto-molded cooler, preferably a Yeti. Avocado Toast Jr., when you ate hush puppies from Catfish King, did a ray of light descend from heaven? No, actually, they weren't that good. Surprise. I hate to uh, rain on your parade there, buddy, but Catfish King is dethroned. Okay, let's get to the interview with Jonathan. All right, we are in Brinkley, Arkansas with Jonathan Wilkins, Old Chuddy, and myself. We're here at Black Duck Revival. We have been catfishing, limb lining. Jonathan is nice enough, cool enough, hospitable enough to bring us into this lodge he has built with his bare hands, converted church. Uh, the setting is amazing, the company is amazing, the food is amazing, the skills and knowledge we have learned and picked up just from a day of being here uh, is also amazing and really useful. So I want to first say thank you for all of that, for the food, for everything, for teaching us, for taking us out on the boat. Uh, it's truly been an unforgettable experience, and I think we're going to take a lot away from it. Dude, that's super nice, man. Thank you. I'm glad you're having a good time. So, I kind of just want to ask you, like, well, this is a, this is about catfish. We are going to probably come back and do uh, duck hunting and goose hunting, but we're we're talking catfish now because it's mm-hmm. catfish months, catfish wars. <clears throat> when was the first time? When was the first time you ever went fish for catfish? Hmm. Like specifically targeting them? Sure. Or like, how did you come around to this? Method, that, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it actually started with crappie, like running yo-yos, which is mm-hmm. those uh, those kind of automatic fishing reel things I showed you the other day. Yeah. But, uh, I'd say probably like eleven or twelve years ago. Just I was running yo-yos for crappie and started getting some catfishes as like a bycatch. And uh, truthfully, man, it's. it's it's easier to catch a bunch of catfish than it yeah. is to catch a bunch of crappie, and uh, <clears throat> you can catch them on, a, on just about anything. Yeah, you know? so, on soap. Yeah, we've been catching them on soap today. So, uh, yeah, probably like eleven or twelve years ago, I started kind of figuring out that, uh, and you also it also deal like you don't have to like when you're fishing crappie that way. You're fishing a spawn, so you know you're fishing like a six to eight week period. But you can fish for catfish this way year round. Yeah. Just like I was telling you, like that limb line method. Yeah. Like limb lines, bank poles, trot lines, jugging—they're mm-hmm. all modifications of a similar method. So, kind of figure out the one way, and then you can, depending on the environment, if you're at a place that we're in now, like a bayou where there's tons of branches, you can use that. If you're in a big open lake, you can run jugs or trot yeah. lines or whatever. This is stuff that is all brand new to me. Like you just route, like rail off a bunch of like very specific things that I did not even knew existed before yesterday. Um, so like the stuff that you've already taught us is like, I mean, we're already like picking a lot of it up. You, you're hearing us talk about going back and doing it again and kind of finding a place to do it back in Austin. 
What do you think, Brad? Is there like what's what's the first step when we get back? First step, uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta just go find a body of water, find the spot. Yeah, just then get the soap. Because that's honestly half the the pleasure of this weekend. It's just being out on the water. It's, yeah. it's been so beautiful. It's a nice change of scenery. It just it's been uh, it's been a very nice relaxing. It's like a working vacation. You know yeah. what I mean? And you, Jonathan, have so. This is super relaxing. This is your job, right? And mm-hmm. you've done a lot of other jobs. What kind of led you to this business? And just real, like a quick kind of personal background of how you got here, where you are. Um, <clears throat> trying to figure out how to say this succinctly. Uh, man, you know, I'd say, yeah, like about 12 years ago, I had a buddy. I moved, I'd always lived in cities, and I moved out to a rural area in central Arkansas with my, at the time, girlfriend and now wife, uh, and it's where she grew up, and we, like, fixed this old trailer up, uh, but it was, and we were living out there, but it was, like, on 15 acres, but it was surrounded by, like, a thousand acres of hardwoods, and it was the first time I'd ever been in an area that, like, I was kind of immersed in wildlife, like deer were crossing the driveway, yeah. and, you know, and I was, like, down in a bottom, so, like, I didn't see the road. I was just in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, kind of one thing led to another. I started squirrel hunting, deer hunting, fishing, uh, waterfowling, and it just kind of immediately was very resonant with me, and I was, uh, I was at a place in my life where I just, I had a lot of time, like, yeah. in a you know, the ability to exact kind of like self-determination. So I just went, my dog's rolling around over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just kind of went, you know, whole hog. Yeah. You know, again, not to be punny, but uh, <laughs> I just went kind of off the deep end in it. And uh, yeah, man, there's, there's all of these existential examinations and there's all these ruminations and all this real heavy, heady stuff. And it's also just kind of a great immersive way to live your life and yeah. feel proud about what you're eating and what you're presenting your family and there's all these levels of knowledge that uh, that go along with it if you want to if you really want to like be a hunter you really want to be an angler and, and understand the biology and because you're examining flora and fauna and weather patterns and pressures and mm-hmm. all of that stuff and how they affect things and then Year after year, season after season, you're adding to that, to yeah. that wheelhouse of knowledge. So, basically, I fell in love with that stuff. Uh, I've always kind of worked physical jobs, and yeah. when I bought this place and was fixing it up, it was kind of like the, the culmination of uh, all these different things I had done, yeah. all these different interest points, uh, and yeah, just kind of like initially this was just going to be like an Airbnb for duck hunters in it. Then it kind of, you know, morphed and kind of organically transformed into what's going on now. Yeah. There seems to be a connection of, you know, when you're talking about learning about hunting and fishing, it's not just learning, like you said, how to catch the fish or how to shoot the animals. It's learning about the weather and the land and the equipment and everything else. And I feel like in the same way that cooking and running a restaurant is yeah. not just about cooking, but it's about business and math and hospitality and so many other things that people don't 
kind of understand. So I feel like there's a connection there of just like surface level stuff and then like everything else underneath. Yeah, man. And it's also like, like be very clear about this. If, if someone is only interested in like killing critters, that's sociopathic behavior. It's fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it really is. Uh, and you do see this with people sometimes. It's actually rare amongst mm-hmm. hunters because hunters largely self-police themselves. Yeah. Like, uh, but you know, someone that is like stacking up animals, stacking up a bunch of fish, and it's like they don't eat them. Or, uh, I mean, I I actually I don't know a single person who who does that. Yeah. Um, and but. You know, like, I have, like, a, a real deep respect and love for these animals, and I spend a ton of time learning about them. And mm-hmm. it, it is a weird, strange dichotomy that uh, the end result is, you know, me actively taking their life. But uh, it's like we talked about kind of before, man. This is about, like, being a participant in your own life and, you know, taking some responsibility and some ownership over what you're consuming, yeah, and uh, and and you know, like uh, I, I do think there's a there's a correlation with with how much of the animal gets used. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like we're eating we're eating churched up ramen today that's like made with snow goose bones, you know, and we eat catfish tails today. Yeah, catfish tails, and you know, like I'm eating gizzards and hearts and livers, and like there's not a lot. Uh, there's not a lot that goes into a gut pile, and yeah. and that's not just uh, economically sound behavior. That's uh, it's a it's a way to uh, you know kind of like in a, not not to get too up in the stars about it, but I mean it's showing respect for the the life that you took. Yeah, and uh, and that's important. It's an important it's important not to to lose that in the midst of. I mean, because it is fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's exciting, but it's important not to lose the fact that, uh, you know, that whole circle of life stuff, you know, like, our bodies will turn into the grass, and, yeah. you know, or maybe someone will throw me in the bayou, and the catfish will eat me. And It's part of what is the coolest thing about it, is that it is fun, and it is delicious, but it's also profound in a way that, you know, we don't access on a daily basis we just don't like go around just feeling like profound shit like on a 24 7 basis it's like something you got to go seek out you got to really work hard for it and then when you earn it right then it's a transformative experience and you know and it does get to a point to where and and i haven't lost it i can tell you any number of things that have happened to me just this year where i was hunting or fishing and, and had these super profound experiences uh but you know, it's also, you know, it's me making spaghetti for my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like at five thirty, and it's or you know, or like hamburger helper or something, and I'm using venison or yeah, you know, ground up beaver meat or yeah, you know, cooking coons and yeah, and then like we've talked about the history of like eating raccoons in the South and all that stuff. It you can take it as far as you want, and sometimes it's appropriate to, and sometimes to me, what I think is actually best about it is. That I'm just existing with it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's part of my life. And, you know, I'm, that's a mosquito sprayer truck. Mm. Uh, Windows are up. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, man, it just kind of, I mean, it's like what you're doing with your restaurant, you know what I mean? And like, when you're just in the thick of it, and you're in the weeds, and you're cranking out food, and you're, you're not thinking about all the intentionality that went into it, Yeah. but it is, uh, I, I feel like there's a, uh, those vibrations carried through. Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, that intentionality is kind of baked in, like, to everything we do every day, so it's easy to get lost in, like the shuffle of like emptying gray water or just like making mac and cheese like we've talked about a lot uh you know but every now and then on a more regular basis you know people who do follow us who do listen to this pod who do come watch the patreon who do come to the classes they come to the truck and they have had that transformative experience you know they we talk a lot about the you know when people get into barbecue what got you into barbecue and a lot of the response is like oh I went to Lee Miller I had a beef for the first time it changed my life I waited in line at Franklin barbecue I had a bite of brisket it changed my life and that's that's it it's always the I had one bite and it changed my life and I hope that you know we can deliver something close to that you know I know we're like still like a food truck and like you know haven't achieved any sort of um, you know monetary success necessarily but hopefully trying to give that to people and I feel like that's something you're doing too right it's like I you know spent some time with this guy I caught this catfish I learned these new skills changed my outlook on a lot of things absolutely well it's it's funny too like we were talking earlier about the kind of the ethos of Leroy and Lewis and how like rewarding it was for me as a cook to like go to the ranch and see where the pigs are coming from and to like mm-hmm. learn how to break them down and like put as much care as I can possibly do other than you know split the wood and yeah. raise the pig yeah and it's it just I feel like you're just taking that to the next level like you're going yeah. you're, you're getting the bird out of the sky and then going all the way through and it's like that whole process is something that I think a lot of people should experience at least in this capacity I feel like we would be cheating ourselves if we did not kind of, you know, try to go that extra mile. And Jess talks about that all the time. There's one level, I feel like, of, you know, going to seek out the best possible brisket you can. Then there's another one of like, all right, well, let's take it up a notch and go beyond just whatever Costco carries. And then there's another one of like, what do the local farms have? And then kind of beyond that, it's like, well, what else? You know, what else is beyond that? And I feel like this is... And also there's, I mean, if you're cooking as much meat as we do and people in our industry do you know we talk about it all the time you need to pay that respect that, that you're saying like and because we're taking lives after all there's like yeah. there's nothing light about that even if it is like a catfish you know that yeah. doesn't look like you know a, a human that doesn't have eyelashes like you were saying yeah you might have whiskers like you but yeah <laughs> yeah it's, I don't know it's good to I don't know it's just kind of grounding yourself every now and then and realizing what you're doing instead of just yeah you know, exuding gluttonous behavior all the time. But, man, you know, you don't... And we've talked about this, too. Like, there's that level of it, you know? Uh, and then there's... You know, like, we we turned that catfish today like into just, like, a rad po' boy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it... Just simple stuff that tastes really good, you know? And you could... Uh, it, it's kind of weird, man. Like, that meal could very easily have been gluttonous but the intention behind it was not so it was right you know yeah, what i mean yeah. uh I, I also think there's a lot of i think it's important 
Hold on, what's this? You know, I'm a person that has a a very specific relationship to place, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, <clears throat> involving yourself with like the native flora and fauna. Uh, is really important. So, you know, like catfish kind of get this reputation as like this lowbrow food and these bottom feeders and stuff. And we could go all about, uh, they're actually much higher in the food chain than that. Mm -hmm. But it's also, uh, I mean, that's a food source that's been around since the dinosaurs. Yeah. And that's a, in this area, that's a food source that like indigenous people were eating thousands of years ago. And then like people that were coming to this place hundreds of years ago, making a way for themselves and whatever, they were, they were finding that to be like a, a sustaining force. And uh, like for me in this place, you know, I, I live in Arkansas and I spend my time in like central Arkansas and the Delta and stuff. It's, it's much more resonant and authentic for me to be eating catfish mm-hmm. than it would be for me to be eating bluefin tuna or like lobster yeah. or uh, there, there's something. And I'm not opposed to those things, but it, there's something weird about like if if most of what I ate was like citrus fruits and you know ocean fish and there's a there's a disconnect there you know what I mean if if you think just a little bit about where your food is coming from then you start to ask those questions yeah I mean, like why am I eating this where does it come from what else comes from here that I can get my hands on like have you ever met old people that. I remember discovering this when I was in high school and like kind of putting the, putting the, uh, putting some stuff together and realizing that a lot of like older people, uh, they, they had a really high opinion of like pineapple. And so, and I saw with like my buddy's grandparents, whenever they came to visit, they made them a pineapple upside down cake mm-hmm. because they grew up when like pineapple was not ubiquitous in grocery stores. It was like this yeah. rare tropical fruit in the forties. And so, like, if you had a pineapple upside down cake made with these canned pineapples and those little maraschino cherries, this was like, uh, this was like a special thing. It was like yeah. a delicacy, you know yeah. what I mean? And while I do not lament the fact that, you know, like, I Amazon stuff, you know, yeah, like, of course. I don't lament modernity necessarily, but, you know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to submit completely and but you know become like one of those characters in that wally movie you, know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you can you can still and, and i also think it's important to as much importance as we put on food like i think it's really important to to have a tactile relationship with with life and you yeah know, I, I think it's important to like you know every day you should i think you should kind of be a little physically uncomfortable most of the times you know like that's mm-hmm. just my you know experiencing the weather or you get out of breath or you have to struggle physically or something because as comfortable as our lives are, like that's not all those other eons of evolution. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't for like memory foam mattresses and stuff, you know, right. it was to like sprint and, yeah. and run and climb and, and all of that jazz, mm-hmm. you know, we're just talking to people you don't normally encounter, you know, like I say it all the time when you open yourself up to the public, like at, you know, a restaurant or something like that, or, you allow people into your own, you know, place that you built with your bare hands. It's like most of them are going to be pretty cool, but every now and then you just get, you know, somebody who sucks. And it's just like that little challenge makes you better to deal with the next people. 
Well, and it's, it's the nature, I mean, what you're talking about is the nature of vulnerability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, anytime you open yourself up, like, you're making yourself vulnerable. And, and the nature of that is that you're gonna, <clears throat> something's gonna get bruised. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's a tender spot. Yeah, but there's, uh, I think it also, I think it also, it builds resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, yeah. a, which is a very important human trait. Yeah. Um, so normally on this, uh, on this podcast, we do like a top five of whatever, right? Yeah. We do, we've done, we did a beer episode, top five beers in Austin. I don't want to do a top five here. I just want us to go around and talk about the best, like if we were to build a perfect catfish plate, what would be on it? Like the fish, a side, maybe a sauce, talk about how it's prepared. Do you have ideas first? I can go first if you want me to go first. You don't want to meditate on it for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why don't you take it away? So, I feel like we're all going to have pretty similar answers here. Uh, I mean, for me, it's got to be obviously fried catfish, big old, nice, a big filet, like a whole side of a filet. The ones we had today were really good for the po' boy sandwich, but if I want one just for a plate, I want to go like a little bit smaller. Like, yeah. how big was that fish that we filleted today for those po' boys? Three pound? No. no. Two pound. Two pound? Yeah. If we had like a one and a half pound, like the full if if I had two fillets on a plate, I'm thinking that's where you gotta go. Uh I would say coleslaw in favor of like instead of hush puppies, just because that like kind of cold, like kind of like almost like a salad kind of component to it. Uh and to me it's gotta be like tartar sauce and lemon wedge. Just pretty classic. I know there's an argument for like other stuff like French fries or some maybe even cornbread. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I'm 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 uh, in the same boat. Although I definitely got to go with the hush puppies. Those ones you made today were phenomenal. <laughs> Crispy on the outside, but soft on the inside. And they... I love ones like with an interior garnish too. That was fantastic. And I just loved how they're not all just like perfectly round or like tubes or something. I don't like the tube ones. Yeah. I don't like I've the never, finger hush puppies. I've never seen that before I went to. That was, that's a North Carolina thing. And when they serve whole hog, they serve those little finger hush puppies. They look like they got squirted out of a pastry bag. Probably did. Yeah. <clears throat> as far as the catfish goes, I like um, when if you take a whole filet and you kind of like cut it out of bias into like half or thirds depending on how big it is yeah big filet but cut it in two that way you get those thin edges yeah it kind of points out like a football shape almost because then you get that really nice uh, crunch to meat ratio on the ends and then meat in the middle so nice and juicy and flaky in the middle and then end it on the same side good for dipping so as dipping you gotta go with a good tartar sauce I'm a fan of cocktail sauce too that's probably my I think cocktail sauce like belongs on shrimp, like yeah. shrimp cocktail. Like that's for me, it's the only place you got it, or in a black. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so hush puppies, catfish. I mean, yeah, I'm with you on the coleslaw too. And you need something acidic or crunchy or light. You need some sort of some acid to go with all that. There's an argument for onion rings. The onion rings we had at David Beard's were the best thing on the plate. That was the table. Yep, very true. Very true. Onion rings are solid. And, you know, half an onion will fill up your whole plate. <laughs> it's like three steps. Give us your best plate of catfish. Yeah, man, so I'll keep it going. I'm going to say fried catfish. Uh, like those fillets we had today on those sandwiches, if I was, if I was like, making those for myself, man, those would have 
I would have bifurcated them twice, so that would have been like in four pieces. Yeah. I would have cut them on a bias mm-hmm. as long as possible. Yeah. And I mean, I with fried like stuff. Fingers? Uh, no, like, you know, if that's the fillet, I'd be cutting it like that. But okay, like I would drag that that bias cut out like a half inch at least. Yeah, yeah. Because then you really will get that curly cue on both ends. Yeah. And so I think it's really I think that textural component is super important with fried foods. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I mean I'm I would also say coleslaw like I do a I do the cilantro jalapeno coleslaw. It's got a bunch of white vinegar in it. Uh, and it's you know like I don't have a recipe per se for it like I I know the vinegar is right when I eat it and then it and yeah, it, you know it makes the back of my and like right yeah behind the ears. And, yeah exactly kind of back there like that uvula kind of goes oh. yeah uh, and then I would actually say with catfish I would say and I love those hush puppies but I say if you only give me one choice I would probably go with French fries yeah I would say crinkle cut French fries mm-hmm. as much as I love like a good brasserie style I would say crinkle cut French fries yeah I would say bunch of chunks of fried catfish, uh, that slaw that had that acid component. Um, and my slaw has a bunch of like red onion in it, which kind of gives me, you know, it's, it's very common to just like eat raw onion slices with your catfish. So it kind of yeah. goes together. Um, and then I would take it like a step further and I would say, uh, like a Arnold Palmer mm-hmm. to drink. Nice. Uh, and then, yes some sort of like very traditional kind of dessert so like a banana pudding uh, I'd, yeah, I'd probably say like a banana pudding uh, with like uh, nutter butters or something yes uh, banana pudding you made here was amazing oh thanks man yeah so like and yeah you can't eat that all the time yeah you know <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah if I, you've said you can eat catfish once every two weeks and you can only cook it one way I'd do that that's the thing, you can cook it a lot of ways. We're going to try yeah. a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got to throw some on the smoker. We want to do some of those steaks we've been talking about. Just you talking about the fries and the catfish makes me want to do something to modify with like catfish fillets and like, I don't know, man, a little mm-hmm. coleslaw on top or something, like fingers and then fries and then yeah. like... There's something. something I've been seeing this place in New Orleans, man, called Turkey and the Wolf. Mm-hmm. And they do their catfish... Uh, they cut them in long strips, so they do like catfish uh, fingers, man. Yeah. You know, so like six inch long, yeah, inch wide strips, and I think that could be. I haven't done it yet, man, but I think that could just texturally would, sounds kind of. I bet it's about perfect. Yeah, you know, you get well, the brain right. Yeah, Mason, the, the chef there, and everybody at Turkey and the Wolf is extremely talented. Dude, yeah, those guys are. I mean, there's a reason that they have a bunch of accolades, so. They're fantastic. I've had really good food there. I haven't eaten there yet, man, but like I follow them on Instagram and it's it's like everything they ever post, man. Yeah. I'm like, God, that's a banger, man. Yeah, I I mean I think that about another place in New Orleans called Margie's, which is like uh, kind of like Southeast Asian flavors and preparations, but like has a lot of barbecue influence too. Mm-hmm. The uh, the chef there, Marcus, is very talented. Really cool guy. Um, if you're when, whenever you're in New Orleans next, check out Margie's and Seafood Sally's is his other place. Good. Okay. Haven't been, but it looks amazing. Really want to check it out. 
But yeah, I knew, I was supposed to go. I was supposed to go gator hunting in mid September, man, and yeah. Uh, yeah, fell through. But I'd like to go down there anyway. Um, yeah, man, can I ask a question? Actually, that please do. Nobody ever asked me questions on this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, since I'm t- sitting here talking to two of y'all, what would be cornbread preparation? Mm-hmm. What would be your preferred? You could, you know, perfect. Kind of. This is the one way I can present it. How would you present cornbread? Uh, for me, it needs to be very. Uh, like I don't like a dense cornbread. I like it to be lighter and fluffier. Not necessarily cakey, but I like it a little bit sweet. I had it at this one place uh, in Los Angeles. Don't don't kill me. Uh, I call Barrel and Ashes. The chef Tim Hollingsworth. He won that Netflix show that Knowlton is the host of. Uh, Spoiler alert. The final table. <laughs> uh, but he has a barbecue place there. And they have uh, what they call a hoe cake, right? And it's just basically a cornmeal pancake. And I think it for me it would be like that. Like something light, something kind of sweet almost. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, my preferred cornbread. Yeah, I really like the, the cast iron cornbreads too. Crunchy, yeah, where it's like, got that bottom kind of that honey kind of butter, like sort of butter or something. Butter, yeah, and then that honey glaze on top, so it's got like a little bit of textural difference, and then it's got that sweetness on there. I think it heats the skillet up and then throws the butter down and pours the batter yeah, and puts yeah. it back in the oven. Throw a little jalapeno in there, never hurt either. See, I feel like you can take it one way or the other. You got to yeah. go sweet, or you can like with pieces of corn in it. I really like. Oh yeah. Or sweet. you can go like you know jalapeno, pimento, some cheese, or something like that. Yeah, what, what do you think? What's what's Man, I mean, I like all that stuff. I mean, a lot of times at home, you know, I mean, I pretty, I almost exclusively cook in cast iron or enamel cast iron. So, yeah, a lot of times at home with the kids, we'll do a, you know, if I'm just like running a gun and trying to get dinner out, man, mm-hmm. I'll do that. I'll get the pan hot. I like put a whole stick of butter in there, yeah. and then, uh, and dude, I'll say it, I'll say it uh, for posterity, man. I'm, I'm not fucked up about eating Jiffy at all. Like I grew up oh, yeah. Jiffy. No way. I like it. Uh, and like honestly, the when I but when I think of cornbread, I think of what I was raised on, which was Jiffy, thinned out, mm. in a thinner batter, mm. uh, fried in a pan, mm. yes, uh, and it's kind of I never actually knew what the name of it was, and it, it's it's not all the way this, but it's kind of between a hoe cake and have you ever heard of lace cornbread? No. So lace cornbread is like very, very, very thin batter. Yeah. And then, you know like the best pancakes? You get that grease going and you put it on there and then you have those splotches of crispy. Yeah. So it's like you're intentionally doing that, but like Uh very thin. So lace cornbread is almost like crispy crepe-like. Yeah. And I wanted a little bit cakier than that. Yeah. Like I'm very, I mean, I'm describing it. I'm very specific about it. You can tell I'm all about, uh, textural differences oh, you know sure. yeah uh but yeah dude i mean a pile of those and you they're great you know you can eat chili with it uh, yeah i no, love it no, on uh i love i love butter and syrup on those jokers and even for breakfast too man now we're talking about like sweet cornbread and that makes me want to do like a cornbread funnel cake and just <laughs> dust that motherfucker with powdered sugar yeah <laughs> dude it's sweet cornbread <laughs> sweet cornbread we do this a lot too it's sweet cornbread on a waffle iron oh yeah it's great man. Yeah, that's and it's too. quick it bangs it out like well, that's what I love about cast iron too it's like yeah like you're saying like you get those little jiffy packs in there 
Yeah. So there's always there's always like four in the cupboard, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, all right, what's for breakfast? Just reach and grab one. You can get that whipped up in like twenty minutes. Makes it real easy, to be honest. There's nothing wrong with what, what, what were we doing? We were making a bunch of cornbread for something at one point. Uh, Probably Thanksgiving. Actually, no, we just used potato bread for Thanksgiving. Sunday. I just remember making. But I was gonna say the cornbread dressing. Yeah, was great. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I remember just like making a shitload of cornbread, like dry mix at some point. I'm just like, why don't I just buy the Jiffy stuff? Yeah. Oh, it was a Chud's chicken event. That's right. Yeah. Well, yes. I'd say this too, man. I don't know that I've ever had a cornbread muffin that I thought was just out of sight. Yeah, there. Sometimes it can be a little too dry. Yeah. yeah. And too much. it's too much on the exterior, not enough moisture on the interior. But I also feel like the people that make the cornbread muffins are not the type of people to alter the package. And the package itself can come out just dry. Uh, if you like add something else to it, like you were saying, thin it out, maybe a little bit more butter, maybe something else to it. No matter what, just a little more butter. If you're just following the you know instructions to the letter, it might be a little dry. Yeah. Hey man, I'm telling you, normalize eating Jiffy. <laughs> There's like, nothing wrong with it. That's a. I mean, that Jiffy's a hell I'll die on too, man. Like, I, I and again, we've talked a lot about like nostalgia and stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? But for so long when I was a kid, that's what I thought cornbread was. Like, like I thought yeah. it was just cornbread pancakes, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what we called them when we ate. Uh, and I've had. It's also like, you can fix bad cornbread with honey and butter like you yeah. can make it good enough that you'll eat three or four pieces yeah, yeah yeah i i like taking those products and then kind of like doing something else to them yeah. like really like we just had the top of teal rum and you know wish had beautiful meat on top and a perfectly cooked egg and just like those extra little embellishments like will greatly elevate something and then it'll also make your life so much easier because you don't have to make ramen from scratch or make cornbread from scratch. You just like start with that really good baseline and then just kind of layer, you know, different instruments and different uh, flavors on top of it. Well, and there's also like, man, there's everyday cooking, you know, like, again, like you get your skills to a point mm -hmm. where you understand like flavors and what tastes good and you have your own perspective on it. And, uh, like, man, there used to be this show years ago. It was called, like, semi Homemade with Yeah, from Sandra Lee. Yeah. And, uh, man, that show got ragged on a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was, like, some stylistic stuff. And I get it, you know. But the idea of it, I always thought was, I mean, that's how human beings cook. There's a reason she was on for years. Well, and it's like, it, there's a level of ingenuity to it as yeah. well. Uh, like... Escoffier didn't f figure out or discover everything about food, and then we're just, if you're right. a real cook, that you're supposed to replicate that. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, like we talked about like stroganoffs and mm -hmm. hot dishes and casseroles, and I mean, <clears throat> there's ways to do all of that stuff that's really awesome. And it's, it's like movies or any other form of craft or art. Like there is a time and a place for really meaningful, impactful mm -hmm. stuff. And there's a time and a place for, you know, just kind of regular, everyday soul-filling stuff. And and there's a way to enact meaning into the simpler stuff with intention and, and how you went about it. So, like, if you go out and you catch 
uh, a bunch of catfish, you know, mm -hmm. and like take care and processing them, and mm -hmm. like you know we like kill them quickly and mm -hmm. all that stuff. If all you do is chunk that up and like and fry it, yeah, I I, I think that's perfectly acceptable and yeah. exponentially more honest and reverent than most people are, right. are, are are doing with their life, you know. So like, I mean, I shudder to say it, but like if you want wanted to throw something, you know, you want to make craft macaroni for your kids or something like that doesn't make you a bad person. No. You know, like, it, I mean, life's hard, man. Like, stuff's busy. It's, it, you're still taking the time. You didn't go through a drive-thru, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, absolutely. Um, what else? Catfish. Um, yeah, so when we coming back for this uh, duck hunt? I guess all we got to do is book a place <clears throat> and put a deposit down, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing these catfish excursions year-round? Yeah, no, nah, man. I like. I'm not gonna do them during waterfowl season. season. Yeah. Uh, so like they'll be kind of, you know, mid November to the end of January. I won't be doing them, but yeah, rest of the year we do them. You still go out for waterfowl during January? Yeah, and end of February, like snow goose conservation season as well. Uh, I'm just not. I'm not offering any of those hunts this year. Uh, I'm just focusing. Focusing on speckle belly hunts, and yeah. I, I've got a couple of timber duck hunts. That is, yes. but I mean those. I mean, to be frank with you, man. The, they sold out immediately. Yeah, the, the, the duck hunts did because I mean, just people's association with greenheads and timber in Arkansas. You know, for yeah. a lot of people, that's kind of like a once in a lifetime bucket list hunt. Yeah, uh, but I mean, as far as like, I think hunting speckle bellies in the Arkansas Grand Prairie is like pound for pound one of the best hunts as far as like accessibility for people because yeah. I mean you're going to see stuff every day that like legit looks like a planet earth documentary you're going to see like thousands of birds they're going to be right there on top of you you know like you're going to have the opportunity and again like you got to be able to hit it but yeah, you're going to have a strong strong chance of uh, taking home a couple limits of birds yeah. and and then yeah we'll do the whole the same process and like really work through cooking and eating them and teaching people some methods and it's great too like a lot of people want to do those those kind of classes for you know that are very new to hunting mm -hmm. or new to waterfowling yeah but some of my favorite folks to have are people that have been you know shooting ducks and geese since I was a little kid yeah and they've never done anything but breast a bird out yeah you know and I can show them like we can do a very simple salt and pepper preparation you know medium rare breast cook it like a steak mm -hmm. De-glaze a pan with some bourbon, orange juice, yes. just whatever, man, and cold butter, and yes. just make something rad, you know. And like, I man, I had this dude last year that, I mean, he's probably in his fifties. He's been hunting as long as I've been alive, and uh, he told me I showed him how to do that. I did classroom his family, and he uh, called me like a month later, and he said that he cooked that for his wife, and mm -hmm. he said it's the first time in his entire marriage he'd ever eaten anything he brought home from the field. What? Yeah. That's wild. And so it was like that that act, like, you know. Yeah. That act, like, had a transformative effect on, like, that man's family. And, yeah. And his wife's relation. Yeah. To, to those animals and, and his wife's uh, appreciation for, like, what he was doing with his spare time, too. Mm -hmm. You know, like. So, yeah, you get that powerful, heady stuff, you know. And, like, yeah. I bet that dude served that with, like, a nor packet of 
you know, broccoli cheddar yeah. rice or something, <laughs> yeah. man. And, it was probably really good. Yeah, and it was still awesome. Yeah. Uh, kind of wrapping up, if you have one uh, piece of advice for somebody who wants to get into kind of sourcing their own food, be it fishing, hunting, what is it? Uh, I'd say two things. Like, seek out a mentor. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's very important. Uh, I mean, there's there's tremendous learning curves in a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then work hard at it. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not. This doesn't have to be like you working your fingers to the bone and bleeding, but uh, you know, again, man, we're we're talking about you know ending sentient beings' lives. So uh, you owe it to yourself and to the animal and to the experience to you know to put time in and uh, gather a level of proficiency. And mm-hmm. that's where like having a mentor helps out a lot. And yeah. there's what's really cool now is that. Uh, and it, I mean, it'd be harder if you just have no relation to hunting and you don't know anyone who does it. Or, and I was very much like that. Uh, you you can, at this point, you can seek out a mentor. Yeah. And maybe they don't live it super close to you, but, you know, like we've got interstate systems. You can drive an hour or two. Like, I'm just going to call Jesse. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to badger him nonstop until we're going out. I mean, he's been doing it. I think he said like 13 years, man. Yeah. He's been doing those classes. So. I mean, that stuff is out there, and it doesn't always... I mean, obviously, I'd love for you to come and let me serve in that role somehow, but, like, you also... I also want people to know, man, that, uh, like, dude, largely, I started this, one, because I was passionate about it, like, when I started hunting and fishing, but, I mean, dude, there were years where, in times where, like, we didn't have money, and, like, shooting squirrels and eating beans, like, sustained Mm -hmm. us, you know what I mean? So, like, and I'm really just kind of getting to the point in my life where I have, like, really nice gear yeah so don't allow the finances to, to be that barrier to entry you know like yeah you can get like we talked about you can get a 250 dollars shotgun mm-hmm. and hunt most stuff in the eastern united states yeah you know and uh you don't have to have like the most expensive camo and stuff man like i for many years all my camo came out of goodwills yeah you know and like and then don't get uh, don't allow the the commercial aspect of hunting to make you feel like you've got to have the latest and greatest. Like yeah, like Fred Bear, you know, like kind of the father of modern bow hunting. Man, like everything he killed, he was wearing like khaki pants and like a red plaid shirt. Yeah, or like I used to. Here's a here's a hot tip. Uh, you know like merino wool base layers and stuff or mm-hmm. high dollar and they're really great and they're uh, very in vogue now and go to a Goodwill go and find like those uh, those old kind of form fitting like v-neck izod like you can find them all the time like cashmere sweaters and stuff man. yeah that stuff works great too nice <laughs> I've, I've killed plenty of stuff man wearing that and yeah. Walmart rubber boots and a pair of Carhartts perfect know? Well, uh, if there's any, do you have, you have anything else to, else else to kind of talk to barbecue fans about? Uh, man, I I would say this, man. If you're if you're into barbecue, uh, I think that getting good at uh, using those skill sets on wild game is like it's it's another level. 
you yeah. do, you're dealing with a lot of stuff that's lean. Uh-huh. You're going to have to deal a lot with like very controlled heat, uh, yeah. cures, brines, and stuff. And uh, I mean, you know, if you if you're going to present like a really beautiful piece of smoked venison, uh, it, it it takes a little more work and a little more know-how, man. But uh, it's a rad challenge too, man. And it's not oh, yeah. it's not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like if if you're into that stuff, um, there's all sorts of wild game. And and again, man, like this is from barbecue and raccoons to like mm-hmm. a beautiful smoked venison loin to like a beer can speckle belly goose to mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, it's a it's a place that's just replete with sausage opportunities too. So oh yeah, uh, lots of transferable knowledge and kind of some new meat challenges to go along with. It. Raccoon sausage. Mm-hmm. Coming up. Uh, thanks again, Johnson, for having us. Really, this has been a really cool experience, one that we will never forget. Yeah, thanks for coming. You guys are ready. Thank you, man. Thanks again to Jonathan Wilkins of Black Duck Revival for the catfish lessons, the food, the friendship, and the hospitality. You can find him online at blackduckrevival.com and on Instagram at blackduckrevival. Go book your catfish trip and or your duck or goose hunt this season. John's also a whiz with the written words, so check out his pieces in Outdoor Life magazine too. Thanks for listening to the New School Barbecue Podcast. Please subscribe, share with your friends, subscribe to our Patreon, buy barbecue sauce, rubs, and merchandise online, and of course, come visit us Wednesday to Sunday, 11 to 9 at 121 Pickle Road at Cosmic Coffee and Beer in South Austin, Texas. We take online orders for the next day. You can find those at LeroyandLewisBBQ.com. Please follow at Leroy and Lewis on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and follow me at Evan Leroy BBQ on Instagram and at Evan Leroy on Twitter. Keep smoking.